Thanks, Kath, and thank you, everyone. Um, yeah, I mean, anything could happen in the next 30 minutes. So um, I might sit down at some points. I might fall over, but um, these guys are prepped for that. Um, we're, we're at the end of a, uh, the teaching series uh, on the book of Acts. Um, I hope you've been able to be here for the majority of them, um, and hope more than that that you've been able to read uh, the book of Acts. And if you haven't, I encourage you to do it, um, because nothing will replace like sitting down and reading this thing and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Um, uh, it's a profound, a profound bit of writing. Um, and we're at the end of this teaching series, and the, at the end of every talk, but particularly the end of a teaching series, is like a critical moment, um, which is for two reasons. One, it's a moment to reflect and say, well, what have I learned? Uh, what have I learned so far in this series? But more than that, what am I actually going to do about it? And I just want to almost give us the heads up that that's everyone in this room today, like where, where we're sat here today and the rest of the services today as well. We're all in the very same moment right now, um, which is to ask the question, what have I learned? To not let it all just go by and be replaced by the next sermon. But also to say, well, what am I actually going to do about this stuff? What am I actually going to do about it? And what are we as a community going to do about it? How is KXE going to look different as a result of um, reading this book? And um, I was reflecting on this this week, and there were three things I came across or conversations I had um, that just made me think about it a little bit more. The first was with a guy called Jay Pathak, who um, is, is a vineyard pastor in the States, in Denver, Colorado. Um, and um, I was interviewing him for the Pattern Podcast. So if you haven't listened to the Pattern Podcast, that's a heads up. You should listen to it sometime. Um, but I was asking him about the, uh, the practice of courage. Like how do we become a more courageous community? And we were talking about this whole idea that um, he was warning us that um, awareness is not the same as action. That he sees it a lot coming through in, in the generations coming through. Um, that, that becoming aware of something, learning about it and knowing about it is almost enough. Um, to become aware that God loves you uh, is almost enough rather than building your life on the fact that he loves you. Um, or becoming aware of the fact that our possessions, our money are not our own, that they're ours to own, that are ours to steward um, and, and to, to use as, as ways of bringing the kingdom um, is, is not the same as actually giving away uh, your money. Um, and he was talking about courage and he was said this, um, that without courage... It's, yeah, it's working. Oh, wow. Sounds like a basketball court. That's kind of cool. Um, uh, without courage, you don't have any other virtue. Every virtue is tested at the point of courage. If you say you want to be generous, somewhere in there you have to exercise courage in order to be generous. Because you will come to the end of whatever is easy for you. If you want to become kind, you have to press beyond fear and safety in order to be kind. So if you replace kindness or generosity there with the things that we've learned in this series, like if you want to be someone who walks in the power of the Spirit, or like Pete was talking about being radically obedient to the Spirit, knowing that we need to be like that or that the invitation is to be like that isn't the same as actually, as actually doing it. Um, and um, so as you, as, as you reflect on this, it, it, he was basically saying um, there's a tipping point, there's a moment. Where, where the things we know, uh, he was almost describing it like being puffed up. So as we, as we hear sermons and as we learn more and we listen to podcasts, we, we sort of get puffed up with awareness and knowledge and, and understanding. But if it's just never like released into the world, uh, and it's courage that, 
is is at that tipping point, the thing that will help tip it into action. Um, so um, look forward to uh, everyone practicing that um, in pattern groups, being courageous and tipping things into action. Another thing is reading James, faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. That's not to say that faith never existed, that you didn't genuinely or you don't genuinely, meaningfully, authentically hold the belief, Right. Like the belief in Jesus or the belief of a certain truth about you or about this world. Um, it, it, we can believe that it's f- true, um, absolutely and authentically. But unless it converts into deed, it's somehow dead. The, the, the heart of it, of that truth, the heart of what it means to not own our stuff but to steward it, never starts to beat because it never moved out of the realms of our puffed upness in our head and into our lives to come alive. And so our, he- our heads fill up, but our hearts don't start to beat, and, and our lives don't start to beat with this stuff. Um, and so the Apostle James is saying, like, faith without deeds is dead. Um, and uh, you think about this with, with our f- whole faith. Um, is, um, it's an embodied faith. So Jesus didn't just tell us that he loves us, right? It's not just some words in a book or, 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 or a sermon. He went to the cross for each and every one of us. It moved into action. It tipped via courage, by the way, and compassion into action. Um, and uh, and, and that's, that's the faith we inherit and, in, and inhabit. It's something that moves into action. So you might be sat here today and, and, and um, well, we are all, that's what I'm trying to say, we are all sat here today having acquired stuff, having taken stuff in, having learned stuff. And the question is, will it flow out? Will the heart start to beat of the things that we've learned? And the final thing that I came across this week was this article, I don't know if you saw it on the BBC News about millennial burnout. Did anyone, did anyone see this? Um, and um, like, I don't generally struggle with anxiety that much. Um, but as I read this thing, man, did I feel anxious. And so it comes with a health warning reading it, just describing the, the millennial of which I am one and many of us in the room are. Um, uh, but just this whole burnout thing that's coming and the increased anxiety around different things. And to summarize it, it would be that we, we can be paralyzed by possibility. And overwhelmed by options. Like the, the, the number of things available to us can paralyze us and overwhelm us and increase anxiety. And I just want to name that, that at the end of a teaching series, sometimes we can be paralyzed by the possibilities and overwhelmed by the options. We've learned so much about, um, about walking in the power of the Spirit. And about being courageous and telling the gospel to different people. And about welcoming people unlike ourselves into a community of grace and extending grace. Um, about being radically obedient. All these different things and all the other things we learn in church. And we sometimes at this point can be like, I can't do all of them. Which is the millennial condition of, you're right, in falling asleep. Um, uh, and uh, like sometimes, sometimes we can get this point. Because I can't do all of them, like I'm paralyzed and I'm going to do none of them. And, and so my encouragement to you at this point, having said those three things, is, is please, um, I hope that over time, and I think this is the apprenticeship model of discipleship, that over time we become more like Jesus as we learn to do it. But it's not all instant. And so over time I hope that we mature into everything that the Acts of, uh, tells us about um, and not settle for less than that. But this week or this month, or this um, season, up to the summer, or whatever it looks like for you, um, can you tip one of them into action through courage? 
can, can you move one of them from faith and into deed? And I really believe that if we manage to get a grip of one of them, of like walking more fully in the power of the Holy Spirit or welcoming people unlike ourselves, I'm going to talk a bit more about that now, um, or, or <coughs> being radically obedient, I can't be obedient to whatever the Spirit says, it, it, between the, all of us, all, all of us on Sundays and the rest of the crowd of this church, like we will hit them all and this community will start to look more like the Acts. But don't feel the pressure to do them all yourself this week uh, and this month and to nail them all down. So saying that, I was trying to say that, um, so at this point, the point we're all at today is, is to ask what have we learned and what are we going to do about it? And I want to summarize it. Pete did a brilliant job last week. It almost felt like we could have ended it there, but um, here we are. Um, uh, and um, a brilliant job. Go back and listen to it. He, he sort of pulled together five of the threads that have gone through so far. Um, and, but I just want to do a, a thing of just almost providing one framework um, for what it is that I think God, when, well, when I've read Acts, this is what, this is what I've, I've taken from it. Um, and, and it's this, that the way of Jesus, and don't you love this, the way of Jesus? I, I, um, that, that's what they were known as. They weren't known as a church or Christians until chapter 14 or something like that. Um, but they were known as the way of Jesus. I kind of like the idea of like going to the office on a Monday morning and being like, where were you last night? Like, at the gathering of the way. Don't you think it's, it's so much more sexy than, um, than church? Anyway, these people followed the way of Jesus, which means it's a life, a way of living your life um, and not a sort of club to belong to. Um, the way of Jesus is all in, all in. And it's not a typo because I'm ill. Uh, it, the way of Jesus is all in, all in. And I just want to unpack what I mean by that. Um, I'm a lot more excited by this than I look right now, just to say. Um, the, uh, the, the way of Jesus is all in. Thank you, Kat. This is so, I'm being looked after. This is wonderful. <laughs> The shakes of the vertigo thing, by the way, they're not nerves, just to say. But anyway, um, all in, all in. What do we see as we read the book of Acts and see all these people radically following the way of Jesus? We see that they are, they, they, that is a community of radical inclusion. And I'm going to unpack this in a minute. But like, I would challenge you after reading Acts and after listening to today to think of anyone in this city for whom the, the news of Jesus is not the best news possible. That I would challenge you to find anyone that is out of the reach of grace or out of the reach of the love of Jesus. You will not find a person in this city from the most successful to the people having the hardest times to the people that society rejects the most. You will not find a single person that cannot be included in the gospel of Jesus and the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus draws all in. It draws all in. So that's the first meaning of what I mean by all in. The second is all in, being a community of radical surrender. And I challenge you again to read it and not just conclude that they were all in. The way of Jesus compels us, Jesus compels us uh, to be all in. None of them are forced to be. When they encounter Jesus, they are all in to the way of Jesus. Um, and so I just want to unpack the first one first. The radical, a community of radical inclusion uh, where the way of Jesus draws all in. And we've had this principle outlined to us, this almost way of reading Acts, um, which is that Jesus, it, so it's, it, that, that Acts is the sequel to Luke, right? Luke's gospel. He wrote them both. Um, and in Luke's gospel, it talks about what Jesus began. It's about Jesus and what he did and what he began on this earth. Um, and somehow in Acts, it's, it's what the church continues of that. Um, and, uh, and so I just want to start with that. Jesus began. What did Jesus begin in terms of being a radical community of inclusion um, that draws all people, all kinds in? 
Um, and you think these are just some examples, I won't read them all out, but Luke 7 and the, and the story about the woman of the city, which means that she was involved in sex work in the city. Um, and, and they're gathered together, these, these men, and Jesus is there. And, um, and she comes and she brings this perfume, right? Which is another indication of people being all in when they meet Jesus, because that was not only probably her only earthly possession, but it was extremely valuable. And it was her way of making money because it was about perfume and all that sort of stuff anyway um and and she falls at his feet and in that moment right he honors her so she's been taken advantage of and abused by men considered unclean unworthy not actually possible to be holy um and outside of what it is that god's up to or likes um and and jesus bear in mind she's been abused by men our life he then in front of men says no 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 she's the example to you She's the example to you of how to worship. He redeems her story in front of men. I think it's totally stunning. He widens the circle to include a prostitute. Um, think about Mark 5, the bleeding woman. Uh, so, so Jairus, um, the official, the basically a very important person, comes to Jesus and his daughter is um, dying or dead at this point. I forget what it is, sorry. Um, and, um, and Jesus is a big crowd and the woman who's bleeding comes and touches his his um, garment, right? And um, the thing I love about this is that um, she's bleeding, um, and so in terms of ritual practices and the Jewish law, they couldn't go anywhere near her. They weren't allowed to touch her. She was an outcast, disregarded. Um, and, and in that moment, he, he tends to her first, and, and he does it in the public setting, right? So this woman who's probably living extremely private, secluded, and isolated life, um, he honours in public in front of everyone. And the, and the powerful official whose daughter is dying, uh, he goes and deals with in private. If you've ever noticed that before. But there's this beautiful honouring of her in public. And, and him, it's not that Giles' daughter is any less important. But I think there's a really powerful principle in that. And um, he's again, he's widening the net. He's widening the net. Um, John 4, Samaritan woman. He shouldn't have been seen with a Samaritan woman at the well. Mark 2, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Luke 19, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Tax collectors being the people who sided from within the community. He chose to side with the Romans who were oppressing the Jews um, and, and taking money from the Jews to fund that oppression. Do you see what I mean? They were the most hated because they were seen as traitors and siding with the oppressors. And then you think about all of his parables um, and just all the stuff that he says in all his parables. Absolutely stunning. Jesus began this work of, 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 of radical inclusion, of saying there is nobody out of reach. And all of your ethnic markers and boundaries and socially acceptable lines, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking them all down. Uh, my, my, the good news that, and the life I have to offer is for all. Um, then the church continues, and don't worry, I'm going to race through these, but we read at the start, right, we've got up to about chapter 10, I think, chapter 11 so far of 28, so I've got um, a bit to go today, but um, I'm not going to do it all. Um, but Acts 2, 1 to 6, to 6 to 18, Pentecost, um, at the beginning, it's like... Um, and spirit falls on, on all the people that were gathered in Jerusalem from all these different tribes and, and all of the languages and the speaking languages and they're drawing all these people in. And then Peter then goes and quotes the prophet Joel in his sermon straight afterwards and says that there is now neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. Essentially, the, the spirit is poured out on all and all of us will, will prophesy. Then um, in Acts 2.37 starts talking about how um, you and your children and all of those who are far off can be forgiven. So it talks specifically 
specifically about forgiveness being available to all, even those who are very far off, it says. Um, Acts 2, 44 to 45 is that amazing bit where it's called a fellowship of believers and these first believers start sharing um, with, with anyone who had need. Um, uh, so they were sharing with absolutely everyone. Then Simon, this magician, uh, I love that there's a magician um, doing dark magic. He's drawn in and saved. Uh, comes to know Jesus, the Ethiopian eunuch, born like that, by the way. He, he gets baptized at the, at the um, first opportunity he can. Um, then Saul, the persecutor, like just bear with this, like pause here for a moment, as in Paul, who we've been reading about. Um, Saul the persecutor. In other words, what I'm trying to say is there's nobody out of reach. This is the very person, the, the primary leader of persecution against the way of Jesus and against the early church. Um, he ends up being drawn fully in and ends up being one of the leaders of the sect of the Nazarenes, as they're called. Um, so even he's not out of reach. Then Peter's vision that, that Pete Hughes talked about last week, um, where all the food laws are all blown apart, and, and, and it basically says that, and the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and they, they basically say they were amazed because the, ev- the spirit fell even on the Gentiles, either the non-Jews. Like, they were blown away by what was happening uh, here. It was quite radical. Roman jailer, the Athenian intelligentsia, he's at the Areopagus in Athens, and it's like the most intelligent of, of society uh, being reached out to businessmen of Ephesus, and the was of Artemis. Artemis was the, was the goddess with multiple breasts, um, who was the goddess of fertility. Everyone was terrified of Artemis um, because she held the keys to life. And yet Paul's there and he's preaching to them and saying, even you guys can get drawn in. You're the, you're the people, by the way, throwing babies outside of the city because they don't live up to um, physical features that we think are acceptable. And so you cast them outside the city for them to be thrown away and to be killed. Well, we want you to be part of the way of Jesus. Even the gospel can reach you. Uh, and then we get onto this bit in, in chapter 22. I just want to hover here for a little bit because um, I really like it, um, which is Paul uses all these different identities. I know you've read this, but let's, let's get it here. So essentially, like what's happened to Paul? He's gone on so many journeys um, reaching out to different people that I've just described. Um, and then he he's basically goes back to Jerusalem. Amazing. He goes back to Jerusalem. And, and just before this, they're warning him not to because they all know. He starts actually saying goodbye to them because they all know that this is probably triggers the end, his return to Jerusalem. Why? Because he started in Jerusalem, right? And he was actually killing um, Christians, and, and he was the leader of the, of the persecution. And so he's going full circle to actually return back to that place to serve the church there and to rewrite that story. But he risks himself being killed. Does that make sense? It's an extraordinary, courageous thing to do to go back to Jerusalem. He goes back to Jerusalem, he's arrested. Anyway, so he's there, um, and he's being charged with all this stuff, and he, and he uses all these different identities. Um, so when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic or Hebrew, uh, they became quiet, because they're like, oh, wow, so that's the language of the rabbis, right? So uh, it's this startling thing, and then he says, I'm a Jew, um, and I'm born in Tarsus, this major city on trading routes in Cilicia, uh, that, but, I, but I was brought up, by the way, in this city, in Jerusalem, where you were brought up. Uh, learning things and involved in the culture that you have lived in. And I studied under a guy called Gamaliel, who earlier on, we, he, he silences the crowd, Gamaliel, because he was so respected in the city. So he's like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm amongst the best of the best in terms of what this city has produced. Um, and, and, and yet Jesus has reached me. Um, I was a zealot and I persecuted followers on this, on, on, uh, to death. This shows like no matter what you've done, 
I killed these people, and yet I've been drawn into their community. Uh, uh, then he goes on to say he's a Roman citizen, uh, which is extraordinary, and they don't expect it, and they're like, oh my goodness, you're a Roman citizen, and he starts getting all this protection, and then he says, I'm a Pharisee. The point I'm trying to say is that a lot of people at this point read into this that he's kind of like dodging and being manipulative and chickening out of facing up to his identity in Jesus by putting up all these other identities. Um, somehow it's about his survival. And we've all been there, right? We, we, we do this regularly, um, which is like, we're a Christian, this is an identity here, but we're going to just shield that one with a bunch of other identities that we have. And I remember very well um, going to Birmingham University in Freshers' Week. Well, actually, they made it Freshers' Fortnight, as if one week wasn't hard enough for a young Christian bloke trying to just follow the way of Jesus, they decided to double it. Anyway, um, and I get there, and I remember going with like uh, some goals in my mind, um, but essentially they could come down to this. Don't reject Jesus, but survive socially. That was basically a thing. Like, don't actually reject him, but try and survive socially. You've got three years with these people. I'm, a young, I'm only 19, 18, whatever I am. And it was like, okay, so fresh is fortnight. This is the challenge. And... Um, some of you may have heard this story before, but like uh, it, I get to day 14 of 14, so I'd done pretty well, and um, I hadn't rejected Jesus, but I put up lots of other identities. I could, I'm from Devon, so I could be the surfer guy amongst all the surfer lot. I can't really surf very well, but you can say it at least. Um, so I could hold myself in that thing. I joined the surf um, club, um, and like I love football or any sport. So like any of the blokes, I could just connect over sport. Like there's an identity I can just put up, and like they won't get through that one. Or I was studying politics and international relations, so anything on that sort of spectrum of conversation, I can handle it. Um, and so we we I get to day fourteen and fourteen, but then it's this, the guild student guild party on the Friday night of the last week. Um, and it's in the guild, it's the big one where everyone comes together, and and we're gathered in this corridor. It was totally packed, and it was like everyone I'd met over the over the two weeks so far. Um, and I end up uh, talking to these two girls, and they're happily married. To, I don't know, it's a wonderful thing, but um, and nothing was going on. But I, I, I was talking to these two girls, and um, as happens in these things, um, and uh, and the to- the topic of sex before marriage comes up, and as it does. And you and I was basically there, and I was like, I can't. Surfing won't cut it. Politics won't cut it. Like nothing. There's no more shields left. They've got to the. They've got to the Jesus bit. And I was like, I won't reject Jesus. So I um, came up. Sub topic came up, and I was like, Yeah, that. That's not really. That's not really an option for me. Um, because I'm a. I'm a Christian. And uh, the music was playing. They couldn't really hear it. Uh, and so I, and they were like, sorry, what was that? And uh, I really, it really did happen like this. And I was like, I'm a Christian, so sex before marriage isn't really an option for me. Uh, and they were like, so, like, it gets slightly louder with each question. And, um, and they said, sorry, what was that? I was like, I'm a Christian, uh, and so I don't believe in sex before marriage. Or I think the best place for sex is in marriage, and I want to preserve it for that. Um, and, and, um, and they were like, uh, this one girl, just top of her voice, she's like, you've never had sex. And it was like slow motion social death, which is basically, I remember it was to my left over here, and the hot, like, they just turned round. And I just, it felt like the longest moment of them just looking at me. And, and it just being like, I made it to day 14 of this thing. But like, uh, but, but the, it's, a, it's a community example, but 
That is not what uh, what Paul is doing here. He is not so ashamed and so trying to keep his identity as a Christian that he's saying, I'm a a Jew and I'm a Roman citizen and like all these different things. I'm I'm the most intelligent in this city. He's not doing that. It's not about his his survival. It's genuinely about the gospel thriving. He's literally tied to um, uh, one of those stretching torture instruments at this point. He's there because they know he's a Christian. They know he's a, se- a leader of the sector of the Nazarenes. Like they, 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 the rumors have spread across the entire known world that he is. What he's trying to do there, he's saying, look, even the most intelligent in the city, all of you, Jews, um, the Pharisees, all these different sects, all of you can be drawn in. Look, I've been welcomed in. The gospel has reached me. I'm here. He's not about his survival, which I think we can all do in our workplaces or wherever we are. It's about the gospel thriving. He's got one agenda to show that the, the net is wide, the circle is wide, and that the good news of Jesus can reach all. Jesus and his earliest followers. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thanks. Jesus and his earliest followers dismantled us and them. They dismantled it. They took it apart. The, the worthy and the unworthy, the deserving, the undeserving, they, they removed all of those barriers. And I just think this is the most beautiful thing that we carry as part of our story. Um, it, it, even when they're persecuting him, even when they're tying him up and he's beaten and he's in prison and all these different things, he never makes it about a fight against these people. He still tre- he preaches the gospel every time and tries to draw them in. And says, like, even you who are persecuting me right now, I used to do that to them. You're doing it to me. Even you can be drawn in. And this is why um, uh, the most moving act of Christian worship for me in any of our services is the communion cue. It, It gets me every time. Because there's a saying that the ground is even at the foot of the cross. We gather for this meal to be anchored in the story of Jesus and what his identity is for us. And, and in that queue that queues up there and up there is people going through just about everything going on from all kinds of backgrounds. And then multiply that out across this country and then multiply it across the world. And you've got, you've got billionaires next to students, next to people on benefits. You've got people who've committed serious crimes next to magistrates and barristers and um, it, it, it's this extraordinary group of every ethnicity. Um, uh, and it's the most beautiful thing. It's the most moving act of worship for me, is seeing people queue uh, in communion. And I just want to say that for us and our cultural moment right now, we have an opportunity in this to be a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Uh, Tim talked about that on, on week one, right? That the church is going to be a foretaste of the kingdom of God, of all that is to come. We live that future reality in this present uh, uncertain time. And and I don't know about you, but if you look around, um, particularly American and European political landscape right now, the enti- entire thing is dominated uh, as a landscape by by fear. And, and that's driven by divisive rhetoric, that starts to say who is in and who is out and who is worthy and who is unworthy and starts to make generalised and sensationalised um, statements about whole people groups. Um, and, and I just think we get to stand right now in the middle of that um, culture and cue for communion, cue to feed off Jesus in all of our differences and all of our diversity. And we get to live out this story, which is they went to just about anyone they could and said, you are welcome uh, at the table.
Um, and so, like, I, I'm, I'm really excited by what the church can be at this time uh, in this particular, particular cultural moment. But we have a question to ask of ourselves in that, right? Which is, do you, does my life, let's be into, uh, talk about ourselves for a moment, like, does my life embody that? Does, like, my personal life embody that? And I've had to ask that question uh, in, in preparing this. And it's like, it, my, my life, my social life, is too white. It is too middle class. People who I hang around with are too similar in their tastes and their styles. I have to conclude that. It's a starting point, and I hope to really grow from that. I have to conclude that. A, a while ago, I, I, I was trying to ask this question of, like, my how I spend my week. Um, and and um, Steph, who's amazing, she, she like did a whole analysis of my diary. If you think about your bank account, we always talk about this. If you get out your bank statement, you look at it objectively, you will see where your heart is and you'll see the things you're investing in. Well, try getting your calendar out um, and do it with that. And, and I looked at it outside of a Sunday context, um, five, 5% or less of my time was spent with the marginalised. And... Um, I'm quite embarrassed by that. I'm not ashamed of it because it's just where I'm at and it's where I'm growing from. But I'm a little bit embarrassed by it because um, the way of Jesus draws all in. People totally unlike me. And they're not massively featuring in my life. And so I'm trying to do some, something about that. Um, and but my invitation to you would be to genuinely ask yourself, like, does your life look much like this? Does it, is it a rad- radically inclusive of those totally unlike yourself? Um, and those whom society disregards. Um, and then, does our communal life embody this? I think we're on a journey of that together as a community, and I think we're growing in it. But let's go hard after this um, and draw people in, unlike ourselves. Um, next one. I'm going to be quick here. Um, a community of radical surrender. The way of Jesus compels us to be all in. To be all in. You can't, just as with the first one, of it, of it draws all in. You can't look at it and say there is anyone with any kind of identity any kind of um, question about their life that couldn't be brought in and anyone with a kind of history or things they've done that could not be drawn in. The same here is you look at this and you say they're holding nothing back. None of them are keeping anything back from this way of life. They're going all in. Jesus began, the church continued. Jesus began it. Just one example, Garden of Gethsemane. It's just before he gets crucified, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Total surrender to the point he's sweating blood. And Tyler Staten, who was with us recently, said this amazing like throwaway line that in his life he wants to move from the, John, from the holiness of John, John the Baptist, to the holiness of Jesus. And he said this, John's holiness, his set-apartness from the world, was because of restraint. Jesus's was because of his generosity. So John the Baptist was a Nazarite. He took various vows. Tyler had taken that vow to not cut his hair and not drink alcohol and things like that. He was fasting. He was separating himself a lot from society in order to be set apart and to show them another way of life. It's not a bad thing. It's an amazing thing um, to fast and to set yourself apart in that way. And, and, and um, we can always think of holiness as just about sexual purity and all these things. It is all of that. Um, but, but the holiness of Jesus wasn't in the way that he removed himself from the world. It's the, from the way that he gave himself to the world. The generosity, the all-inness of Jesus to, to come and humble himself and come into this world and give himself away so fully to it that it actually set him apart from the world. 
That was where his holiness came from. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Jesus a man for others. Every fiber of his being lived for others, given away. It's our statement, uh, vision statement, to recklessly give ourselves away. So Jesus began it so clear in his life, how he gave himself for others. The church continued it very quickly. Um, the Acts 2, 44, 45, the selling possessions bit where they give to all who had needs. Well, they sold all of their possessions. They, they, they were all in. They were all in with their money and their possessions. They, they, they'd realized this isn't stuff um, to own as mine, to cling to and to grasp a hold of, to create a comfortable life for me. It is, and it's not anti-ownership. It's just redeemed ownership, right? They have it. Anyway, um, and, and, and they give it away. And so they are, they are all in with their money. Let's shift through to Acts 10, 28. It's illegal when... Um, this is when Peter is talking about how he's going to get rid of the food laws and that vision. He says, it is illegal for a Jew. You know very well, he says before, it is illegal for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. But God has shown me I should not call anyone unclean. They're all in with their reputation. His, he was risking so much at that point. To, to, to stand against those laws, those things held so dearly, he was all in with his reputation and the risk to that. Acts twenty twenty two, and now as a captive to the Holy Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem. Remember I said he was returned to Jerusalem to his own peril, uh, just as actually Jesus did. Um, and now as a captive to the Holy Spirit, my, my translation says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. They were all in in their obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pete talked about last week. All in. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the risk is to me um, or my possessions or my reputation, but I'm all in. And, and, I, and I, I'm beginning just to think this is the way to live. This is the way to live our lives, to being all in to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Acts 24, this is an amazing line uh, where, where he's been um, they're debating what to do with Paul and they've arrested him because he's causing so much carnage. Um, and, and then there's just this line and it says, and he was there, and after two years had passed, and basically the next governor changes. Anyway, he's been in prison for two years. It's, it's, it's four words or whatever it is in, in a sentence. He's been there for two years. He's then in house arrest. He's tortured. He's beaten. He's driven out of cities. Um, and and he, he's, he's, he's beaten almost to death. And yet he's all in. He keeps going. He keeps saying. And he's all in despite circumstances. And I can't, I do this in my life. Um, but, but, but we do orchestrate our life around comfort, don't we? To try and make sure our circumstances are all okay so that we're okay. And, um, and uh, we, we look horizontally most of the time to determine whether or not our life is okay. So we, we check, have we got that and that and that in comparison to the rest of the world? And we neglect the vertical, so to speak, of the way that Jesus sees us. Um, and, but in this, he, he, he then writes from prison, right? He writes from prison, house arrest in, in um, the end of it. He writes letters to the Galatians, um, to the Philippians, to the Colossians. In the Philippians one, he said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. And then he goes on to talk about how the whole of Caesar's household comes to know Jesus. So out of that, it's a paradox, out of this circumstance as being so awful, um, the, the, the gospel is spread like wildfire, including to Caesar's household. And I think I was lying down out there, but listening to all the words so far, maybe we should pray into this afterwards, but some people in this room needing to press through some difficult circumstances. And it's not that Paul delights in them, it, it, or any of them. Stephen doesn't delight in being stoned. 
But he, but he realizes that isn't going to dictate his life. It's not going to dictate his worth or his happiness. It's the fact that Jesus is looking down on him uh, and smiling and his persistence through it. So I wonder if there's something going on today about that. Um, but if you notice with Paul's story, each trial he goes to, he just tells his story and, he, and, and all that's happened to him so far. And it gets more and more profound, more and more deep, and more and more powerful as the book goes on. Because more and more crap has happened to him. And yet he's still there. And he's still persisting. He's all in despite the circumstances. Somehow, if we cling to the promises of God, which is another thing that happens, they're all in on the promises of God. Paul writes this, Now I stand here on trial on account of my hope in the promise made by God to our ancestors. I'm here because I have hope in those promises and I've not given in to them. I have not given in because my circumstances are awful. I'm clinging to them. And as a result, you've put me on trial because it's causing uproar. So anyway, the church continues this all-in way. And what happens? It's one of my favorite bits of the whole book. Uh, They're in Thessalonica. And these people are outraged by these people following the way of Jesus. They said, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here to Thessalonica. They're all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. What happens when the church lives all in? It turns the world upside down. It turns the world upside down. It changes social circles. It changes people's identities. And I just want to say, having read all that, that the baton is in our hands now. Like, we are, this is somehow... The, the Acts of the Apostles, is, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, is somehow not history in this only way that the Spirit can do. It's somehow not history. It is our story too. We haven't come in at the end. Uh, we are in it. Um, and I love the, the fact that right at the end of the, of the book, in 28, um, he, chapter 28, it just ends like this. Uh, Paul lived there for two whole years writing these letters and preaching to everyone he could at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, again, welcomed everyone in, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. End of the book. It deliberately rhetorical device of leaving it open. He's about, he gets killed by Nero. Um, He doesn't do much more. But the church continues and the spirit continues. Um, and, and so this is somehow not just history. It is somehow our story too. The, the baton is in our hands. We are the only church of this particular time and moment. We're the only church. as an not KXE. Um, but that would be worrying. But as in the church is the only church. It's you and I. We're the only ones who have the baton right now. There is nobody else who can respond to the spirit than, than us. Um, and, and so if that was at chapter 28... And the story continued. I don't know if this is heresy or not. But if the story continued to chapters 150 or 200 or whatever we'd be on now, what would our chapters read like? I read this and I'm absolutely blown away by how they draw all in and they are all in. And, and they give away their possessions and they don't, they're not fretty about their circumstances. They're just fully in. They're not trying to build comfortable lives, but you know, wild, courageous and adventurous lives and the things of the Spirit. Would our chapters read like that? Or would they be like the lull in the story? Would we be bored reading our bit? Uh, the baton is in our hands. Uh, what will our chapters read like? And so, in summary, the way of Jesus was all in. Radical hospitality and inclusion that drew all in. And it was radical surrender uh, that meant they were all in. And 
just like I said at the start, let's not be paralyzed at this point. But if we could think off the back of this series, well, what is one way, one thing I could do to draw people in, to, 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 to draw people into the gospel that aren't anything like me? What's the one thing I could do, one act, uh, one decision I could make? Or, and what's the one area of my life that, if I had to be honest, isn't all in? Is it my work life? Is it in my family? Is it whatever, whatever it might be? Where am I not actually all in, but I'm shielding myself, surviving rather than the gospel thriving? Um, so let's honor him in that way.